Welcome to the podcast. Keto is a big name in certain health groups, and it's a huge word in the advertising industry. I think the public's perception is there's this thing called the keto diet. You can hop on it and lose some weight. I wonder how many people who hear the words keto diet understand that what makes it so effective is it puts your body into a state of ketosis. Since one of the popular keto myths is that it's unsustainable, I thought I'd share with you my experience after living in ketosis for more than five years. I'm going to take you through the timeline and tell you about some incredible outcomes that have occurred along the way. I think you'll find it fascinating, and perhaps it will help you make some important decisions in your life. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. Today, we'll be discussing the following. My pre-ketosis medical condition, how you can be certain you'll get into ketosis and stay in ketosis, what changes occurred within days of me entering ketosis, what things looked like at the 90-day mark, the one and only thing I supplement and why, blood test results a couple of years into ketosis, inflammation markers, cardiac-specific tests I took, cholesterol numbers, different ways of maintaining ketosis, how ketosis affects gym-related activities, such as cardio, ironclad proof your body works very differently in ketosis than when not in ketosis, muscle mass issues, chronic disease, acute illness, and my recommendation of apps and devices that can help you stay on track. Obviously, that's a lot to cover, so I'll be moving briskly. Despite that, I also want to be thorough because I want you to take away an accurate impression of what it's like to live in ketosis for more than five years. I've done earlier videos on several of the issues I'll be highlighting today. Because those presentations discuss a single topic, they go into more detail than I will today. When I discuss a topic today for which there is an earlier, more detailed video, I'll let you know and you can find the link in the notes. With all that behind us, let's get into it. I don't do diets. I never have. Diets are, in their very nature, a temporary alteration of how people eat. Once people stop a diet, they return to eating as they did before the diet. That approach has never appealed to me. In order that what I'm about to share with you today makes sense, we should quickly discuss that there are only two ways to fuel the 100 trillion cells of your body. One is glucosis, the other is ketosis. In glucosis, your cells burn glucose for energy, which basically means the cells take in and burn sugar that's circulating in your blood. In ketosis, the cells burn fatty acids for energy and to a lesser extent ketones, but do not burn sugar. As you heard that description, if it struck you that the difference sounds pretty damn significant, you're absolutely right. It is as different as day is from night. A body fueling its cells with glucose and a body fueling its cells with fatty acids operate very differently, and that difference has profound health consequences. We tend to look at our bodies as a monolithic structure, and then we judge our health by the condition of that monolithic thing we call our body. In my opinion, that perspective is a significant contributor to why Americans are the most ill people in all of human history. I would suggest a much better perspective is to see the body as a community of 100 trillion cells interacting in an amazingly complex electrochemical ballet and to consider that to be healthy, 
those 100 trillion cells must also be healthy. I'm going to leave that right there because the purpose of this presentation is to share with you what it's like to live in long-term ketosis, not to give you a physiology lesson. Speaking of physiology, I should mention I'm the author of Body Science, the groundbreaking book on human physiology that explains how the body really works, how the establishment has intentionally misled the American people about how the human body works, resulting in Americans being the most diseased people in all of human history, and how, when armed with the factual science, every American can have incredible health. So, you're considering ketosis. How do you shift your body from glucoses into ketosis? Simple. No longer flood your body with sugar. You see, the modern narrative is that cells burning glucose is how our bodies are intended to fuel the cells. And that is complete nonsense. The cells of the human body are genetically coded to burn fatty acids, but they permit the burning of sugar as an emergency mechanism. In our modern society, we force our bodies to employ that emergency mechanism 365 days a year, and then we call that normal. When I shifted my body into ketosis 63 months ago, I did so by using the keto diet, which is eating in such a way that the macronutrients you consume are 80% fat, 15% protein, and 5% or less carbohydrates. It's the reduction of carbs to 5% or less that moves your body into ketosis because you're no longer flooding your blood with dietary sugar. I should point out that all carbs, whether a candy bar, pasta, broccoli, all break down into monosaccharides, which is the most basic form of sugar. As an aside, I should mention that while I use the keto diet to shift into ketosis initially, I stay in ketosis these days using a different style of eating. I'll get to that shortly. When I began my journey, I set my daily carb limit at 30 grams. The reason for that was the level of carbs that keeps you in ketosis or throws you out of ketosis is not fixed. There's some bioindividuality involved. It's safe to say virtually no one can maintain ketosis eating more than 50 grams of carbs a day, and virtually everyone will maintain ketosis at 30 grams a day or below. Between 30 and 50 is a gray area. I didn't want any gray, so I set my daily carb intake at a level that was guaranteed to put me in ketosis and keep me there. When you first deprive your body of its former level of carbs, there will be three to five days when you won't feel fantastic because your cells are accustomed to burning sugar and you're depriving them of it. The feeling most people get during the initial three to five day period is something you may have heard the media mention, keto flu, although the feeling during that three to five day period is really nothing like having the flu. It's more like just feeling run down, perhaps a little grumpy, but then your body flips into ketosis and you feel amazing. I still remember the moment on day four, my body flipped into ketosis. I'd been working at my desk and I was feeling pretty blasé. I stood up to go do something and bam, I suddenly felt amazing. While going from glucosis to ketosis won't be like flipping a light switch for everyone, it certainly was for me. By the 90-day mark, my weight was down dramatically. Blood pressure was great. Resting pulse rate was that of a professional athlete. All symptoms of insulin resistance were gone. My AST and ALT numbers, which had been high, came down into the very desirable low range. Hematocrit, which also had been high, fell back into the normal range. My red blood cell count was up and much more. All of that within 90 days. I really felt a difference when doing cardio in the gym. 
It felt like I was supercharged. I started exploring different forms of cardio and got hooked for a time on hit sprints. Three or four days a week, I was doing 10 mile per hour hit sprints. When I decided to do the keto diet, I weighed 248 pounds at 5'10". Within five months, I had lost 48 pounds, weighing in at 200. If you're watching on video, you can see the difference. The image on the left was me the day I started the keto diet, and the image on the right is me six months later. For those listening to the podcast, in the before image, I was overweight with a bulging abdomen and a noticeably round face, and the after photo shows my waist is smaller than my ribcage or hips, and my face is slender. Between calorie restriction and fasting, over the next few months, I lost more weight, getting down to my lowest weight of 186 pounds. The process of getting there was a good exercise, but 186 pounds was not a good weight for me. I was too slender. When I began keto, in addition to excess body fat, I also had a lot of muscle mass from pushing heavy weights for, at that time, 34 years. Because the muscle requires protein, with a lot of muscle requiring even more protein, and the standard keto diet being just 15% protein, I lost a good deal of muscle in addition to body fat. Fortunately, I had a lot of muscle to begin with, so it wasn't too much of an issue. However, after about the eighth month on keto, I increased my protein to 23%, and that stopped the muscle loss. I'll have more to say about protein and muscle shortly. I don't want this presentation to seem like my ketosis autobiography, so I'll quickly give you some facts and move on. But before I do, it's important for me to let you know that the only supplement I take is vitamin D because I work indoors. Blood test results after a couple of years in ketosis showed the following were all within the normal range. Sodium, potassium, chloride, carbon dioxide, calcium, protein, albumin, globulin, AG ratio, bilirubin, alkaline phosphate, AST, and ALT. I also had an SED test that indicates the level of inflammation in the body. A male wants to be 22 or below. The further one is below 22, the less inflammation is present in the body. Mine was two. Now, let's talk lipids. My triglycerides were 77, which is excellent. HDL cholesterol was 60 which is excellent. LDL was 207. In the glucosis world, which is 99% of the world's population, 207 would be considered a disaster. But for a body in ketosis, it's a meaningless number. A meaningful number is remnant cholesterol. A remnant cholesterol score of 20 or below indicates little chance of a person being at risk for heart disease. The lowest I've heard of is 11, minus 13. I did a video dealing specifically with my LDL level in ketosis. Among other things, the video includes a simple equation to determine your own remnant cholesterol number. The link is in the notes. Just for shits and grins, I took a coronary calcium scan, which uses computer thermography to determine the level of calcium in the arterial arteries. The level of calcium in the arteries is a strong indicator of arterial heart disease because when inflammation damages the walls of the arteries, cholesterol comes in first to act as a salve on the injury. Calcium follows, forming a protective cap on the cholesterol. In other words, a high level of calcium in the arteries translates into high confidence of coronary artery disease. My number was zero. I have a video specifically on coronary calcium scans. The link is in the notes. A couple of years ago, I went from eating keto-style to eating 
carnivore. Carnivore keeps your body in ketosis because people eat even fewer carbs on carnivore than keto. While living in ketosis for years on the keto diet was transformative, moving to carnivore took things to the next level. As I mentioned earlier, I only supplement vitamin D. Since carnivore means eating nothing but animal flesh, or very close to that, carnivores don't consume any vitamin C unless they take a vitamin C supplement, which I don't. Eating carnivore without supplementing vitamin C gives us a glimpse into the amazing physiological differences in how the body functions in glucosis versus ketosis. Current science tells the entire world that scurvy is caused by an absence of vitamin C. Yet I, and countless other carnivores, consume no vitamin C, in my case, for years. Yet we never get scurvy. What physiological commonality do all of us share who consume no vitamin C and don't get scurvy? Answer, our bodies are in ketosis. In other words, those living in the toxic state of glucosis, the cells burning sugar for energy, who don't consume vitamin C will get scurvy. Yet those living in ketosis, the manner in which the body is genetically coded to function, can never consume any vitamin C and not get scurvy. I did a presentation on ketosis, vitamin C, and scurvy, in which I provide all the relevant numbers to make sense of the subject. The link is in the notes. Due to an illness I had almost 25 years ago, my testosterone had been low for decades. While there is some disagreement in the medical community about the proper range of male testosterone, a good generalization is the normal range for a healthy adult is 400 to 900. The last time I was tested, before I went carnivore, mine was 210. On a lark, I tested again after 17 months on carnivore. My testosterone had soared to 714. It was the first time in 20 years that, absent hormone replacement, my testosterone was normal. In fact, it was closer to the high end than the low end. I think it's important to note that the only thing I changed in my life was my diet. I'd gone from the keto way of eating to carnivore. I did a presentation focusing on this amazingly positive outcome after 17 months on carnivore. The link is in the notes. Let me take a quick moment to ask you to subscribe to the channel or the page and hit the like button. By doing so, you trigger the algorithms to show this content to more people. Thank you for taking that simple step to help spread the word. Many of the things we've discussed thus far were not a big surprise because in the internet age, we can check out what those who've come before us experienced, much like you may be doing right now. Here's something that came out of left field and surprised me. Let me give you some context. Prior to choosing ketosis, I wore double X shirts, and depending on the brand, sometimes triple X. After my initial weight loss in the first year, I wore single X and sometimes even size large. Imagine going from wearing triple X shirts to wearing a large. That's a pretty big change. At that point, I got rid of all my triple X and double X shirts because they no longer fit. We're talking t-shirts, tank tops, polo shirts, and collared shirts. They were all donated to charity, and I began the gradual process of replacing them with XL shirts. But then the unexpected happened. When I switched to carnivore, I was 61. In one's 60s is not the time of life when men gain muscle mass. In fact, most men in their 60s begin losing muscle mass. Exactly the opposite happened to me. At some point after I went carnivore, muscle mass in my arms, shoulders, and upper back began increasing. At first it was slow and I barely noticed. Then, about 18 months ago, the process began accelerating. 
Shirts I'd wear in winter that were XL and fit me in, as an example, January of 2022, no longer fit. They were too small in January 2023. More recently, spring weather came to Southern Nevada, where I live, and my XL t-shirts, polo shirts, collared shirts, and even tank tops that fit in the spring of 2022 no longer fit in spring of 2023. I'm now having to give all my XL shirts to charity and replace them with double XL shirts. One of the important factors to consider in this unexpected muscle growth is that I didn't change my workout routine. I went to the gym five to seven days a week before going into ketosis. I continued going to the gym five to seven days a week once in ketosis, and I've continued being in the gym five to seven days a week since going carnivore. Pretty much the only change I made in my training was about four years ago, I started doing more core work, including things like hanging straight leg leg raises. At 63, I think I'm the only guy in the gym who does them routinely. I think it's reasonable to say that working more core is not responsible for increasing the muscle mass of my arms, shoulders, and upper back. I'm curious to see where this is going to go. I'm hoping the growth stops because I have no desire to be any bigger than I am right now. And that brings us to the next issue, which is joint pain. Shortly before I chose ketosis, I was diagnosed with level 4 osteoarthritis in both shoulders. I have no one to blame but myself. I spent three decades pushing the heaviest weights possible in the gym, and eventually that wore away a good deal of the protective cartilage in my shoulders, which is what osteoarthritis is. Before I go further on this subject, I should mention that being diagnosed with osteoarthritis had no connection to my choosing ketosis. 63 months ago, I didn't see any connection between the two. The worst manifestation of osteoarthritis for me was that I'm a side sleeper and the pain in my shoulders was so brutal at night that it awakened me every 20 to 30 minutes. I'd roll over to my other side to alleviate the pain in one shoulder and in 20 to 30 minutes the pain in the other shoulder would wake me up. That would continue all night. It was pretty brutal. One of the unexpected benefits of living in ketosis was that my shoulder pain diminished significantly. If we say the level of pain I was experiencing at night was a 10, then after several months of ketosis, it was more in the range of four. That's a pretty meaningful reduction in pain. But even more interestingly, since going carnivore, I have zero nighttime shoulder pain, from a brutal level of pain that prevented me from ever getting a good night's sleep, to sleeping like a baby with no pain whatsoever. is obviously phenomenal. To be clear, carnivore hasn't cured my osteoarthritis. One of the consequences of osteoarthritis in the shoulders is limited range of motion. After 63 months in ketosis, that limited range of motion is still there. In fact, the only time I have shoulder pain now is when I attempt to move my shoulders where they're no longer willing to go. And as you might imagine, training shoulders at the gym can be uncomfortable. Let's talk about illness, of which there are two types. Chronic, what the medical community calls acute. Chronic is something that persists, like type 2 diabetes. Well, in a standard English dictionary, acute means serious. In medical terminology, it simply means short-lived, such as a cold or flu. Because acute, as used by the medical industry, can be misunderstood, I refer to short-lived illnesses as transitory. Let's tackle chronic disease first. You may recall I mentioned having insulin resistance before shifting into ketosis. Insulin resistance is a chronic disease and virtually always leads to type 2 diabetes, which then leads to a slew of other diseases. The astounding thing is that as soon as I shifted into ketosis, every one of my insulin resistance symptoms disappeared. 
One of the big tells concerning insulin resistance is afternoon drowsiness. There were days I could barely keep my eyes open around 2 or 3 in the afternoon. Since the moment I shifted into ketosis, I have never had a single moment of daytime drowsiness. Not one. It may have taken months to completely eradicate the insulin resistance in the sense of my body doing a complete reset of insulin sensitivity, but it sure was nice for the symptoms to disappear immediately. 63 months after shifting in ketosis and having eaten nothing but animal flesh for several years now, I have zero chronic diseases. That outcome is, of course, completely the opposite of what your doctor would tell you will happen if you eat nothing but meat. I should mention that being in exceptional health is the outcome experienced by every carnivore. This is one of those cases where the consistent result attained by millions of people is the exact opposite of the false dogma put out by the medical industry. Remember, there is no money for the medical industry if you're healthy. What about transitory illnesses such as a cold or flu? I haven't been sick a day since going into ketosis. Does that mean pathogens never attack my body? Of course not. Coming in contact with pathogens is a routine part of the human existence. Interestingly, I can tell when my body is working to defeat something. I experience telltale signs. The most common telltale signs for me are a lessening of my usual sunny disposition, a lack of enthusiasm for my work, and or not feeling enthusiastic about going to the gym. While those are tip-offs that my body is fighting something, I haven't actually been sick a single day since I shifted into ketosis. Prior to ketosis, I used to get sick four or five or six times a year. Not only do I know that in a general sense, but Facebook's memories feature often brings up posts from years ago in which I'm talking about how it felt good to get back in the gym after being out of the gym for a week because I was sick. I don't know how you feel about it, but to go from being sick five or six times a year to not being sick a single day in five years is pretty impressive. And that five-year period we're discussing included the SARS-CoV-2 event. During that time, I went where I wanted, when I wanted, never wore a mask, only social distance in public so strangers didn't freak out, shook hands with like-minded people, hugged my friends, and never got covid I mentioned my significant weight loss during the first several months I was in ketosis. So I want to make clear that in my mind, ketosis isn't a weight loss tool. It's about health. Weight loss is merely the visual manifestation of your body finally operating in the manner for which it is genetically coded, which then makes you incredibly healthy. Again, weight loss is the consequence of those hundred trillion cells of your body loving what you're doing and returning to their natural healthy condition. There are people out there who will attempt to dismiss and discredit everything I've said in this presentation. Those folks generally fall into three categories. First, members of the establishment who are trying to protect various false narratives, usually to continue reaping huge profits. Second, the people who believe those false narratives. And third, vegans. One of the most ridiculous responses I hear from vegans when I share my ketosis story is... You're an anomaly. <laughs> no, I'm not. Their statement is an attempt to dodge the truth of ketosis by childishly claiming it only produces those results in me. Essentially, it's an attempt to dismiss or discredit truth. As you hear those attempts to dismiss or discredit, 
Remember that the benefits of ketosis I've discussed with you today are universally enjoyed by everyone who is living in ketosis. In other words, to believe the folks who are attempting to dismiss or discredit what I've shared with you today, one has to ignore the results universally attained by millions and millions of people around the world. It takes a certain kind of person to assert that the results experienced universally by millions of people are invalid. I'll leave it to you to decide what kind of person does that. Let's talk about things you can do to significantly help you in your ketosis journey. The number one thing you should do is read body science so that you aren't flying blind. It's one thing to just do what someone tells you in order to achieve a particular result, but that's not my approach and I hope it isn't yours. When it comes to something like ketosis, I want you to have a firm understanding of the science that undergirds your choice. Additionally, if you're going to put your body into ketosis, shouldn't you know exactly how and why it's so incredibly healthy and the alternative is not? Here's something a reader wrote in a review of body science. Michael wrote, Champion is absolutely 100% right when he says this changes everything. My wife says putting names to the lymphatic lipid system and hepatic lipid system and glucosis is game-changing. Labeling those functional systems creates an understanding otherwise not attainable. Thank you for researching with your intellect, having the fortitude to speak the truth to power, and somehow the skill to communicate it all so well. I can't see myself ever getting fooled by the establishment again. Close quote. I share that with you because body science is the only book in existence that makes everything about human nutritional physiology crystal clear in a way everyone can understand. And as Michael says, once you've read it, you'll never again be fooled by the establishment about how human physiology really works. I'll put the link to body science in the notes or go to drreality.news, drreality.news. The next thing you want to do is track your daily macros. I use an app called Simple Stupid Keto and it works great. That said, if you go straight to carnivore, there's no need to track your macros at least in terms of keeping carbs low, because animal flesh doesn't have any carbs. I'm not an absolutist, so even though I'm carnivore, I still have an onion slice on my lettuce wrap burgers from time to time. I have an occasional tasty treat. My wife makes what we call seed treats. And when I'm in Vegas, because I live in a small town about an hour away, I have a low-carb treat at an amazing keto bakery called Starburst Parlor. I did a short video about Starburst Parlor. You can find the link in the notes. I share that because with those small deviations from absolute 100% carnivore, I've still never exceeded 9 grams of carbs in a day. The point being, the carnivores don't need to track their macros. That said, I'm able to tell you I've never exceeded 9 grams of carbs in a day because more than 5 years in, I still track my macros every day. It is essential for people who are beginners and choose the keto diet to put themselves in ketosis to track their macros. There is no way to know if you're eating 80% fat, 15% protein, and 5% carbs without tracking everything you put in your mouth. If you attempt the keto diet without tracking your macros, you're essentially setting yourself up for failure. Several weeks after I went into ketosis, I wanted scientific validation I was in ketosis, even though I knew I was. For me, that scientific validation was just part of the journey. There are a couple of different types of devices that can verify you're in ketosis. There are urine strips, blood meters, and breath meters. Let me steer you away from the urine strips because there are several factors 
They can give you a false results with the urine strips. Yes, they're dirt cheap, but what's that worth if they're unreliable? Blood meters are reliable and give you a fairly exact count on the volume of ketones in your body. The standard for being in ketosis is generally considered to be 0.5 or higher. To be absolutely certain, I considered that I had to be at 1 or above. The first time I tested, I was 5.6, which is quite high. That sort of high number is fairly common in the early days of ketosis because while your liver is pumping out ketones, at the same time, your body is releasing fatty acids from your adipose tissue like crazy. Between eating 80% fat of the body releasing all the stored fatty acids from the adipose tissue, the cells have all the fat-based energy they need, so more ketones are left unused in the blood than would otherwise be the case. As an aside, in body science, I explain why dietary fat is totally healthy, while in contrast, how the body copes with excess blood glucose by hepatic conversion to fatty acids is so destructive to your health. It's critical information to know. The second time I tested, the number was 2.3. Again, that makes sense because a good deal of the adipose fat had already been released and the mitochondria and the 100 trillion cells of my body were becoming more adapted to ketosis. After five years in ketosis and being carnivore, if I tested today, my number would likely be under one. But here's the thing. All those numbers are good. You may hear people say that a higher ketone level means your ketosis is stronger that's nonsense. In fact, the more fat adapted your cells become, the lower your ketone number will be, while remaining above 0.5, of course. Breath ketone meters are reasonably accurate, but they're considerably more expensive than a ketone blood meter. However, if it freaks you out to prick your finger for the blood meter, the breath meter would be the best bet. In the notes, I'll put a link to where I got my meter. I just got the basic $50 kit that had I think 10 test strips, because I was only looking for verification of what I already knew. A moment ago, I mentioned that most MDs would predict doom and gloom for your health if you go carnivore, despite the fact that carnivores are the healthiest people on the planet. Why is that? Why do they say things that real-world experience shows are completely false? Because so-called experts, just like everyone else, follow the herd. If the leaders of the medical herd say eating high levels of saturated fat causes heart disease, the overwhelming majority of that herd will parrot what the leaders say without performing any evaluation as to whether it's factual. And of course, there's the reality that if everyone in the U.S. went carnivore tomorrow, within a year, the entire medical industry would be in a state of economic disaster, along with the pharmaceutical and processed food industries. One of my favorite quotes is by Upton Sinclair. It's one of my favorite quotes because it is a universal truth. Sinclair said, quote, It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his job depends on not understanding it. Of course, the medical industry isn't the only example of this. Let me give you another highly disturbing example. There is a narrative in the U.S. that ordinary, hardworking Americans owe income tax. That narrative exists for a couple of reasons. First, it exists because the U.S. government has engaged in a massive disinformation campaign to convince the American people of that lie. I urge you to never forget what William Casey said in his first staff meeting after becoming the director of the CIA. In that staff meeting, Casey said, quote, We'll know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Of the many domestic disinformation campaigns the U.S. government has run and continues running, the narrative that Congress imposed the income tax on ordinary working Americans is certainly one of the most successful, 
with most Americans blindly believing that lie. The second reason that false narrative continues is America is exactly what we were just discussing. So-called experts follow the herd. In this matter, we're talking about accountants and attorneys rather than doctors and medical researchers, but it's the same phenomenon. If the leaders of the tax industry herd say income tax applies to everyone, the overwhelming majority of that herd will parrot what the leaders say without performing any evaluation as to whether it's factual. And Sinclair's observation remains just as true. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his job depends on not understanding it. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that whether it's nutritional physiology or income tax, the reason these destructive false narratives persist is the American people don't bother looking into them. Many years ago, a friend shared with me a quote he felt described most people. It goes like this. Why stand when you can sit? Why sit when you can lay down? His point was that the majority of people will always do what is easiest, not what is right or best. So when it comes to nutritional physiology, or income tax, people don't look into whether the narrative is true because the easiest thing to do is blindly believe the establishment. Doing otherwise requires effort. To help my countrymen discover the truth, I wrote Income Tax Shattering the Myths. I put in the 17 years of legal research so you don't have to. I took that 17 years of research and distilled it down to 400 pages of incontrovertible, absolutely conclusive facts, evidence, and data presented in a way every American can readily understand, showing you Congress never imposed the income tax on the ordinary working American. Just as it's time to stop believing the absurd nonsense that glucosis is the way human cells are intended to be fueled, isn't it time to stop believing the lie that the income tax applies to you? And so you know, I don't just talk the talk, I walk the walk. I haven't filed an income tax return or paid a penny in income tax in 30 years. The only difference between you and me is I know what the law really says, and you've taken the word of liars about it. Isn't it time you have a look at the truth? You can't decide what path is right for you if you're clinging to a lie. Once you know the truth, you can decide what path is right for you. The good news is both body science and income tax shattering the mist are on special right now. For a limited time, income tax shattering the mist can be yours for 15% off the normal price. To get that 15% discount, use the coupon code OWNIT, all one word. I'll put it down in the notes. If you purchase the bundle that includes income tax shattering the mist and body science, you'll get that 15% off income tax shattering the mist, and you get free shipping on your order. For the bundle, use the coupon code FREEBIE, and I'll put it down in the notes. To get income tax shattering the mist and or body science, go to drreality.news, drreality.news, or just click the links I'll put in the notes. Purchasing income tax shattering the mist and or body science also supports me being here for you, with these thought-provoking presentations. Please, share this vodcast everywhere. Thanks for being here. Take care.